Welcome to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance, where top-level COOs share their insights, tactics, and strategies that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Matthew Sabatini is the Chief Operating Officer for Visit California, a nonprofit organization created to increase tourism and market California as a premier travel destination. He oversees several departments managing the organization's $130 million budget, as well as financial policies and technology systems. With more than 14 years of experience at Visit California, Matt has successfully led the organization to continue its track record of 21 years of unqualified audits. Matt has more than 20 years of operations and executive experience and is the recipient of the 2011 Business Journal's CFO of the Year Award. A California native and an Auburn resident, Matt and his family enjoy the state's abundance and love to travel. Matt is also a former member of the COO Alliance. So Matt, welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so tell us, I mean, it's funny when I think about, you know, marketing California as a tourist destination, I'm like, dang, like you got one of the top three, like, what do you got? Like California, Italy, and the Taj Mahal, like where else? Like, um, you know, so, so how, like, what is it that they're trying to do? And, and give us a little bit of an overview of the, of the organization. Cause clearly I'm, I, um, you know, I probably understate how important it is. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, ultimately in the most simplistic form, we are trying to inspire travelers to come to California with, uh, you know, intent of, you know, increasing the tourism economy within California. Um, you know, we have the largest tourism economy in the U.S. Um, you know, obviously our, our charge has changed over the 20 years that Visit California has been around. Um, but we've, we've always stuck to one core mission, and that is do what the industry cannot do for itself. So, you know, collectively, you know, with our funds, we are able to go out and market internationally, whereas an individual business, um, whether it be a hotel or a restaurant, doesn't necessarily have the money to go out and do that and market themselves in those, you know, uh, markets around the world. Mm -hmm. So we're able to do that. Um, that has, you know, changed in many different forms over the years. Um, I think one of the things that, that we've really taken taken um, charge of over the last couple of years, obviously, as everybody knows, California has its share of uh, natural disasters. And so, um, you know, one of the things that we have done, in, aside from just, you know, marketing California, is um, making sure that we're doing crisis communication for the, the tourism industry. Oh, wow. And make we get the message out there that, you know, while there are certain parts of California that may be on fire, and despite what the media is reporting that the entire state is on fire, that, yeah. you know, California is a huge destination, and most people don't realize the, the geographical size of California, and that you can still come here and, and do everything that you probably want to do, even if there is a fire happening. Wow, I hadn't even thought of that whole crisis communication side of things. I was thinking pure just destination marketing, but you're right. Like when I think about, okay, so the fires in Malibu and Campfire, that whole northern, uh, north of LA section that was on fire recently, probably quite small com compared to, you know, the massive state. So is that a big part of the, of the role of the organization? It, it's becoming part of the, the, a bigger part of the organization. I would say when I started here, it wasn't even something we thought about. Sure. Um, 
the disasters that that California had were were not anything quite as um, you know disastrous or, or huge as what they are. Um, but that goes with you know it also visit California was born really out of um, the the earthquakes that happened back in you know eighty nine or um, yeah and and so that's when the industry kind of got together because again the the media was reporting that California is going to fall into the ocean and right. and and so we had to do something I mean obviously California is a destination where people are going to come right no matter if you're marketing or not um, but the 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 volume and the market share that you lose when you're not marketing and it's so easy for other destinations Florida Hawaii totally to that's funny I, I, market share yeah it's funny I think back to my first time to San Francisco and I don't remember exactly when it was but it was roughly <clears throat> I guess about 18 or 20 years ago <clears throat> and I remember the when I was just the, the plane was touching down and, and there was this there was definitely a palpable sense of nervousness that I had about an earthquake coming in San Francisco. And the reality is like, I mean, I've lived in Vancouver for longer than that. Vancouver's in an earthquake zone and I'm never worried about it there. So I don't know why. And of course there were no earthquakes. And, but you know, I, I think I walked around for three days expecting one every 30 seconds and yeah, no, no earthquakes coming. Yeah. Um, and the reality is, you know, they, they don't actually happen that often. Whereas, you know, you get hurricane season every single year. Yeah, huge. Okay, yeah. so tell me about about the growth of the organization. You guys have had some pretty crazy growth over the, the um, I guess, 18, 20 years you've been there. Um, and in that period of time, what was your employee growth? And then what's your budget been? Like $130 million budget right now is a huge amount of growth. So I guess in the 14 years you've been there, what's your, what's your budget grown by and what's your number of employees, just so we can understand the scope of the organization you're running? Um, so when I started, it, it'll actually be it was actually 14 years, like two days ago. I didn't, it just went by. I didn't realize it. Um, but um, when I started, the, our budget was about seven and a half million dollars. And we had about 18, 20 employees. Um, now, uh, today we are at about 130 million and we have um, 75 full-time employees. But what I think has grown more than just the number of employees is kind of our what we call our visit california extended family mm. and so that means the 13 offices around the world so we what we do is we contract with um organ or companies that are market um destination marketers so they they specialize they work with the trade they work with the airlines etc to market a specific destination so we have 13 uh, offices around the world. Um, or Sorry, we're in 13 markets. We actually have more than So in China, we okay. have six, six offices alone in China. Okay. Uh, but uh, so if you start adding in that global extended family, we're really about 400 people that are working on the Visit California wow. uh, marketing on any given day. That's a ton of influence. So one of the, I love the campaigns. You probably see them because you travel as much as I do where, you know, when you're walking down the gangway from the gate to the, to the door of the plane and there's all the HSBC ads. um, I I just think they have such a strong targeted campaign for their business traveler. What do you guys of your 130 million, how much of that would be marketing do you think? And, and where do you, where are you guys shifting your marketing? um, You know, over the last 14 years, where, where's your focus? So, so two questions there. Um, 
you know, I think that one of the things that that is really partially made us very successful is that we actually keep our operational uh, costs very low. So we actually run at about 12% operational costs. Wow. Um, un- unknown to most nonprofits that run at 30, 40%, um, or frankly, other destination marketing organizations like us. Um, and, and that's really because we want to focus on marketing. Every dollar we take out of marketing or you know, put into mar- operations is ta- being taken out of, mar- of, of marketing. And for every dollar we spend, the tourism industry gets about $300 back. So we can, you can see why we're, we're trying to put as much into marketing as possible. So, you know, we spend about, you know, 88% of our budget on true marketing. Now there, that comes in many different forms, um, whether it be TV or digital or marketing to the trade, um, et cetera. So, you know, to answer your question there, I would say, where are we going? Um, obviously things are moving digital. Yeah. Uh, when I, when I started, you know, our budget was very low. We were only doing print in the U.S., um, maybe working with a little bit of trade in, I think, maybe one or two markets. Um, now, you know, obviously we're working um, with the trade in all of the markets that we're in. We're spending probably $15 million a year there. Um, but, you know, then when, when we had our first burst in growth, um, we mostly were starting to go into TV in the U.S. That's a primary market for us. Um, but now things are shifting where, as I would say, it's probably 50-50 or 60-40 on the digital side. Digital. Um, and that's changing. So we're, and we're, we're making a lot of those shifts, um, you know, day in and day out. From a market perspective, I would say the ones that are growing the fastest are going to be China, and then second to that is India is the next up and coming market. It is. Eh? Are you? What are you seeing in India right now? Well, you know, it's it's still what we call a, a tier three market for us. Um, just you know, as China was seven or eight years ago, but we see the potential growth with their their increased uh, you know middle middle class and how fast it's growing just the sheer volume of, of individuals. Um, you know, the, the, the visas are still somewhat of a hindrance and that's what, you know, always if we could get visa waiver, that would make a huge difference mm. in numbers. But, um, you know, I, I would say in the next five years, um, don't quote me on that exactly, but, you know, I think we'll start seeing, you know, India becoming the next China. Well, yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting to watch India evolve where they get, I think, their systems and business. And I think technology is going to help them with that, where the cost of technology is getting so much lower. But they were, I've been to India four times over the last 20 years, and they, they do seem to be, as you kind of say, kind of growing up almost as a country. It's funny to see. And, and they love to come to California. I think we're going to, you know, we're positioned to be, you know, the primary beneficiary of that because of, you know, the tech capital of the world. And yeah you know, they're, they're being so heavy in, in technology. Yeah. And they really care about the education. It's interesting. When I first met you around 18 months ago, one of the things that I was really impressed with, and and I mean this genuinely was you were a, in in my mind, kind of the nonprofit um, guy, government guy in my mind to find only to find out that you're not really much government funding anymore. Right. And you really treat this like it's your business, which I was really, I was really, um, I was really impressed with. I was really, kind of touched that, that someone would 
really run this like it's theirs and treat it like it's theirs. And um, I think it was, it was, it was, uh, it was just very different for me to see that. So, so how is that, that you treat this uh, and run this that way? Is that a mandate or is that just you culturally? And, and does that culture permeate through the organization? Do you think? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's a combination of things. I think it, it, it starts with our CEO as you know, the from the leadership um, you know, we, we actually like to say we're the furthest thing from government. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, you know, w- when, when this actually started, it was a 50, 50 partnership in terms of revenue from the, from government and private industry. And so, you know, obviously that's changed over the years. We get $200,000 a year from the state at this point. Um, so it's all private dollars and, you know, so, sorry, you get $200,000 from the state and then 129,800,000 from private. Yes. Okay. That's fantastic by the way. So how do you do it? What's the deal? Is it, is it business development? Is it co-op? Is it? So, um, you know, I think, it, well, one, you know, 20 years ago, a piece of legislation was formed by the industry that gives us the ability to collect. Um, and, and there's a couple of things that we, that keep us, you know, to answer your question of why, why do we run this organization like this is, you know, starts from leadership. That's just kind of how I am, um, personally, but we also have, um, every, a six year referendum. So in the legislation that was formed 20 years ago, what says that every six years, the businesses that fund us get to vote on whether or not we stay around. Whoa. And so we, that vote is actually coming up in November of 19. And every, so for every dollar they pay, they get a vote. And so if we're not doing a good job and we're not holding our staff accountable and, and passing, that's why audits are so big to us. It shows the level of transparency to the industry, what we're doing with their money. We have to look at it as we are stewards of their money um, and being efficient with that. Because at the end of the day, we have that, what we call the six year hammer. Yeah. And, and so you're coming into that. It's it potentially post the, the, the economic downturn. I mean, we're going to come into another economic downturn and it's going to be hard and, and, and I'm an optimist, but I still think it's going to be a hard hit. So you're going to be coming into that vote potentially after it started or, or in the middle of it. What, what KPIs or metrics or what data do you show the industry then to get them to see it? Or, or how do you show them, um, that, that you're delivering? And then also, do you measure anything ongoing? Like, do you have kind of like a net promoter score or anything that you measure ongoing to feel the pulse of them? I'm sure you don't wait every six years to see, okay, how are we doing now? Like you, you must measure ongoing some way. Yeah, we, we actually do continuous measuring. Um, really what we focus on is our ROI um, to the industry. And, and we spend um, probably close to over a million dollars a year just on research. Um, and, and most of our, uh, marketing is research-based. So we don't just, you know, our head of marketing doesn't come in one day and say, I have this really cool idea. Let's, let's spend a million dollars and try it out. It's all research-based. And, and so that really drives the ROI. Um, and so we, that's basically our measurement. And because we've been doing this for so long of, you know, 20 plus years, um, we have the, the historical knowledge. And so we can show those huge dips of when we stop spending money, the, the direct correlation to market wow. share of travelers. It, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it's very clear. So the industry gets it. They see what we do. And frankly, when you're in an economic down, 
long term um, is all the more reason for what we're doing because yeah. those businesses have even less to spend. Um, you know, our, our funding model has changed over the years. Um, and I think this is the first time where, you know, four years ago when we made the, the, the second big jump um, from basically 50 million to 110 million, um, overnight we doubled. Uh, in the legislation, we were guaranteed $50 million. That was our budget. And now we're more performance-based. So as the industry does better, the more revenue we have. And that's why it's continued to grow. We had a cap before 50 million. Okay. Um, so as goes with the upturns come the downturns. So when the industry or the tourism industry is not, you know, doing as great, obviously our revenue may take a slight dip. So, you know, we're, we're preparing and we're, you know, we've put rainy day funds in so that when that happens, we've done the research to show, you know, how much do we need to, to put away for, you know, the next economic downturn? Because to your point, it's not if, it's when. Right. So, so you mentioned the, the, for every dollar out, $300 in, is that kind of one of the key numbers that you show the industry then? Yes. And I, did I understand that right? If you spend a million dollars, you can actually quantify $300 million in travel coming back in? Correct. So um, and it's it's not exactly three hundred. It's actually right. over. It's like three hundred and thirty <laughs> something. But I don't I don't have that number off the top of my head right now. So I, lo- I love that you're actually under promise over deliver. It's not exactly three hundred million. It's more like three hundred and thirty million. I'm like okay, most yeah. entrepreneurs would be like it's not really three hundred million. It's more like twelve. Um, <laughs> especially one who's running our country. So uh, it's not really three hundred million. It's more like five million. So um, and and I'm a I'm a Republican, which is weird too. But okay, so let me go back to. Um, probably edit that part out. Eh? Um, so, so where do you collect then? Is, is this the tourism tax at hotels? Is that, is that a, a part of your revenue or where do you guys get no. your revenue? So, so the tourism taxes actually goes to local cities um, and that usually funds local city general funds. So um, we do have the, the businesses that fund us do have the ability to pass on our assessment. So, if you're in California and you stay at a hotel, you may see California tourism assessment. Um, and our, you know, our fee is so much less. So if you look at uh, transit occupancy tax, what you were referring to, you know, you're probably looking anywhere from eight to 15% of your total hotel bill. So hundred dollar hotel nightly rate, you're going to have $15 in TOT. Our assessment is 19 and a half cents. Okay. So, some hotels choose to pass it on. Some don't. Some choose to, um, you know, roll it into all fees so they don't have six different fees. Um, so primarily the ones that do pass it on are hotels and rental cars. Um, okay. Restaurants, retail, attractions. You know, from the consumer mindset, it, it doesn't necessarily lend to passing on those fees, so they typically eat it out of their profits. Okay, but they are all contributing. They are all contributing. We have 18,000 business locations that contribute into uh, our organization. Now, do any of the businesses that you're, that you're working with that contribute, whether it be hotel chains or attractions, theme parks, et cetera, do any of them contribute their fees as contra? Do any of them give you like gift certificates or credit lines or anything like that? Like what? Um, not, not in that sense. Um, yeah, we don't operate that way, but a lot of times what they will do is, you know, 
one of our marketing uh, tactics is um, bringing people from other countries here to experience California, whether it be media and, you know, with the hopes of them coming back and writing about California and promoting it, or whether it be trade so they understand California more um, so that they go back and sell more California packages. Um, so we will get um, trade rates on hotels. Sometimes we'll get them comped for the media um, or, you know, free tickets to Disneyland for the trade or media. Sure. Uh, but it's always from a marketing perspective. Okay. Yeah, not, not on their pure fees. I was thinking about the uh, when the Vancouver Olympics wrapped up in 2010, they contacted me a year later and they, they were sitting on, I used to run a, a large barter company and um, so we would help companies trade their products and services. And the, the Olympics was sitting on $140 million of in-kind inventory. Wow. So as, as an example, Polaris snowmobiles uh, gave them $5 million in snowmobiles for a bronze Olympic advertising sponsor. You know, Shell, Shell Oil, the Shell, um, you know, the gas company gave them, I don't know what it was, $10 million in gasoline credits to, to have a silver package, right? So they were a silver sponsor of the Olympics, but they didn't pay $10 million in cash. They gave them $10 million in gas. Right. And, and I guess during the course of the Olympics, the Olympics would sell off some of that $10 million credit to, you know, I don't know, car companies or transportation companies or whatever. And, but they were sitting on all this extra contra this, this stuff that they couldn't do anything with. So I was curious whether you were using any of that for your business at all. We don't. Um, yeah. I do. I like that you can actually pull stuff in on the marketing side though. And the, the yeah. we'll see that there's no real cost of goods sold for them, right. To, to offer that up. Right. And, and, you know, we know that we know which partners and they all like to partner in, in doing that kind of stuff. And it's interesting kind of too, where when the economy is really good, like right now, they're, they're comping hotel rooms and, you know, mm, all that. Sure. When, when things take a dip, you know, then that's where we, if we want to continue with the, bringing people here, we usually have to start paying for them. Right. Well, you think that'd be strange, right? Because the, the reality is they probably have less occupancy. So they probably have right. these hotel rooms sitting there. Right. Nobody's renting anyway. Yeah. <laughs> the, first, the first group that I ever saw as a, a true destination marketing for like a, a state or a country um, was I was living in Canada in, in Toronto at the time, and this was back in the early 90s, and it was Cuba. And the country of Cuba had a huge advertising campaign for Canadians. Americans weren't allowed to go to Cuba at the time, but Canadians were. Uh -huh. And everywhere I turned, there were billboards about Cuba and like just these amazing beaches in Cuba. And then it, it, they would all be sponsored by like airlines and stuff. So I really get the whole that this destination marketing works, right? So do you guys outsource your marketing? Do you work with marketing groups? And how do you pick the ones that you work with? How do you pick your partners? Um, so, Or do you run it all in-house? Well, we have an advertising agency that comes up with all of our marketing concepts, if you will. Um, and, and we work with a number of different um, you know, as we've grown, uh, we, you know, we, we, we have our main advertising agency. Um, and then, you know, we started partnering. So, uh, over the last few years, it's grown tremendously with time Inc. Um, which now is not time Inc. Um, right. but you know, they're a huge partner for us and they develop a lot of our content. They produce our, our California visitor guide. Um, so that's where we kind of, you know, break the model where we don't, we don't do a lot of this stuff in house. We hire specialists to go out and do what, what they're good at. Um, and then most of the staff internally are, are project managers. So, you know, um, 
obviously we're working with other destinations within California and we partner with them and we'll do, you know, we'll do partner campaigns. Um, so for example, uh, you know, a year and a half ago when, uh, the, uh, sorry, the Middle East uh, travel ban came out, okay. um, we did a promotion that, uh, you know, all dreams welcome, you know, it really, um, it was primarily done for Mexico and Canada and okay. we went into those markets and we brought the governor and, you know, really what we wanted to say was, um, you know, we, California stands apart, you know, um, we are in a way kind of our own country and people have yeah. always thought about, about us that way. We wanted to really push that message. So we would then go out and partner with, um, the destinations within California. We didn't just do that on our own. We've also partner all the time, mostly on the international space, um, with airlines. So we'll do a big promotion with British Airways when we're trying to bring, you know, when we're doing a campaign in, in England, or uh, we've done promotions with Air, Can Air Canada. We've done, um, you know, a lot of times with, with airlines, we'll do yep. partnerships. Um, we also do partnerships with other brands. Um, the one that comes to mind is in Australia. Um, we did a huge partnership with Roxy. Um, and so that really kind of pushed things there. Um, we do partnerships at one recently in, in France, they have their, their Miss France, um, huge, huge viewership. And Miss France was coming to film that particular year in California. So oh. we, we did a huge partnership with them. That's really cool. Yeah, I remember that the ones in Canada that I remember always seem to have an airline partnership. So that makes a lot of sense. You guys are doing the same. Um, yeah. Talk talk to me a little bit about about running the organization and, and your leadership. So you've been with them from um, from pretty early stage and watched some pretty rapid growth. So were there were there like twenty employees when you got there? Yeah, and and yeah. now between like the seven and now it's like the seventy five to four hundred. So you've clearly had to grow as a leader. So how have you grown in in your skill set? Um, and, and give us a bit of your background as well. Like I know that you've got some finance background in you as well. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I started here, I, I, you know, I kind of tell the story of, you know, I started here at the bottom. Um, when I started as 14 years ago, I started as an assistant. Um, I've, I've always been kind of business minded. Um, and you know, I just take on new things when I see an opportunity um, I will just, I'm the type that just gets in and gets it done. So I, you know, within visit California, I've run day-to-day -day facility operations. I've run, you know, literally, you know, in it setting up servers and uh, whatever I, you know, ran the finance department. Um, you know, I, I, I definitely, I actually just went back about a year and a half ago and got my finance degree. Um, cause I never had a degree before. Um, Actually, I'm about six months away from my master's um, in finance, but uh, yeah, so, you know, it's been an exciting uh, career here. Um, you know, obviously I think, you know, I've, I've always kind of grown in this company as, as a doer. And so that I think has probably been the biggest switch for me over the last maybe four or five years of, you know, obviously I've had to lead departments, but nothing quite as big as it is as it is today. Um, and so you have to take on that leadership and you have to be able to manage. And, you know, so I've, I've kind of transitioned more from a day-to-day, -day, you know, producer to, you know, just a leader and manager of, of staff. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, it, it, 
I know common sense isn't so common anymore, but, right. um, but, but honestly, it, it just, it's not hard. I mean, to me, I, I see that, you know, within people, and it's not a, ne- a negative thing on anybody, but you kind of either have it or you don't, right? Well, it's not something that I feel like you, you can read a book and learn how to be a leader. You're, what you're touching, yeah, you can, but I think you also have that, I think you just said it, was you either have that leadership ability and you don't. You can learn more, but you either have those right. traits. But I think the big one you just touched on, and, and a lot of people miss this, is it has to get done, but not necessarily by you. Right. Right. Like in the early stages of growing any company, we need a lot of people. I call them jack of all trades, master of none. And I was classic at that at 1-800-GOT-JUNK when I was the COO. You know, I came in and right around when you did 14 employees and I was doing, doing, doing. And then all of a sudden it was less about doing and it was more about recruiting and leading and onboarding people. And then it was more about getting results through people, growing them. And so walk us through some of your leadership then. How do you, how do you lead people? How do you grow people? How do you, um, how do you get results through people? And just kind of give us some thoughts around that. So, I, I mean, I think for me personally, one of the first things I say in terms of leading people is lead by example. Um, all of my team and frankly, the entire office know that, look, if something needs to get done, I'm going to get in and help and, and do it. And, and I think, you know, I, I, because I've come in this organization essentially as an assistant, and I've kind of worked, you know, I've worked in probably five different roles to where I am. I know what it takes. And mm-hmm. so it's not, you know, I'm not the type that, you know, just says, Oh, go do this. Like I actually understand what it takes to get that done and I'm willing to, to help. Uh, and so I'm real, I feel like I'm realistic about, you know, what things take as well. Um, you know, in terms of, of growing individuals, I think it's a matter of, you know, making sure you're available to, to your team. Um, you know, I, I, one of the things that I do is I set aside three hours every single day where I block my calendar and I just call it quote desk time and it's available for staff to come in and, and do what they, you know, get what information that they need. Um, you know, that's a huge part of my day to, to do that, but it has been incredibly successful. Yeah, that's massive. The, the, it's kind of like the professors in college have their, um, their, you know, their open door where they're sitting and doing, yeah, they're sitting and doing work. But if somebody wants to come in and ask them a question, they're available for it. Right, right. So if, if an employee comes in and says, you know, hey, Matt, what should I do about this? How do you typically respond? Well, you know, honestly, I, I'm, I'm very analytical. Um, and so, you know, I like to have, you know, data and details or facts behind things. So, you know, I'll, I'll ask a lot of questions, um, you know, trying to get to what they're, you know, trying to get after, um, not necessarily tell them this is what I want you to do. I think it really, what I try to do is help guide them, but make it to where they come up with the answer themselves. Perfect. That was what I was hoping for without asking you the question. Yeah. <laughs> My, uh, my mentor years ago, I was being groomed by a guy who was being groomed as a COO at Starbucks. And um, so, so my mentor was a guy named Greg Johnson. He was reporting to the CEO at Starbucks at the time. And Greg said, when an employee comes into your office and says, how do I deal with this? The best thing for you to say is, well, how do you think you should deal with it? And if they say, I don't know, then say, well, then go away and think about it and come back and tell me what you think. And, or if they say, I think I should do this, then just say, then do it. 
and and almost like you just don't engage. I'm like, wow, that's really weird. It's like you have an open door policy, but it's pointless to come in the door. He goes, that's the point. He goes, I just don't want them to continue to come to me for advice unless it's truly needed and unless they've truly thought about it. He goes, my job is to grow their brains so they can solve problems, but also to get them to keep thinking about it. It was a really big lesson for me. So you, yeah. you're, you're doing that, which is huge. All right. So uh, last couple questions. I want to know where you've really struggled as a leader um, over the years and something maybe like a, something that you screwed up that you learned from, like a big lesson from failure or from, from struggles. Um, you know, I had one years ago where I just didn't listen to our CFO and, and he was very quiet and I would steamroll over him and we almost lost the company because of it. And I, I just learned that if I'm going to have people on the team, my job is to listen to them. So what's one of yours in that area? And then we'll go to the kind of a wrap question. Um, you know, it's funny. The, I, I think one of the things that I would say that comes to mind, and it may not hit exactly what, you, what you're after, but, um, you know, I, I've had the opportunity to be, to be mentored by our CEO, who's an amazing person um, over the last 14 years. And, you know, um, I, I would say one of the things that has been hard is, you know, I, I was young when I came into this organization. And so, you know, with that comes some, you know, career immaturity, yeah. right? And so, um, you know, I thought, well, so I don't know, it was probably three, four years into being at Visit California and our finance director had left and Carolyn came to me and said, Matt, you're, I'm going to make you acting director of finance um, and, you know, get through the audit and get through the next board meeting and the job is yours. And I thought, okay, cool. And so, you know, I changed my email signatures, acting director, and I don't know, about two, three months in, and I don't know what I was thinking, but I just thought, you know what? People aren't taking me serious because I have this acting on there. I'm going to remove the acting. And I got called on it, <laughs> you know? And, and it, you know, it's, you, you learn from those things, right? Yeah. It's like at the time, you don't realize the impact that something as simple as that makes. Um, but it really does make a huge difference. And, you know, I think one of the things that I've always, you know, tried to learn from is that, that old saying, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to be cognizant of, I don't know everything. Yeah. And, and not trying to, you know, run over and, and take, you know, advice and learn from the experience of, you know, people that have been doing this longer than you. Well, and this is to quote a, a pretty successful entrepreneur out of California. Everyone thinks he's from Chicago, but uh, Ray Kroc, who built out McDonald's, said, when you're green, you're growing. When you're ripe, you're rotting. And, you know, if no matter where we are in our careers, I think we're always learning. Yeah. So that, that is a great one. Um, so I want you to leave us with the one big lesson that if you were 21 years old, starting out in your career again, something that you've learned um, that, that you now know for sure is really s something that you follow, like a really good tenant in leadership or, um, what do you wish you'd known when you were 21 that you now know today? Oh, that, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier is, you know, treat this as, you know, or, or an organization or whatever you're doing as if it's your own, right? Mm. Spend money as if it's your own pocketbook, whether it's someone else's or not, you know, operate with a hundred percent transparency, um, you know, and, and again, you know, be open to learning. And, you know, I, I always, you know, you, you made that 
quote from Ray Kroc earlier, I, I always say, you know, if you're not growing, you're dying. Um, yep. I tell my staff that all the time. And so, um, you know, always know that you have to continue to grow. You never know it all. Um, and, you know, I would say when, when I was 21, I didn't think that way. You, you think you know everything. Right, you sure didn't. You're king of the world and you, you, you really aren't. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. And I'm glad you, you brought that one up. I'm also going to share one that I think you've really learned and internalized that we were chatting before we went live. And it was that in the early days when you were doing a lot of this international travel and the travel for business, you would tack on a couple of extra days just to see the city and enjoy it. And now you're realizing with kids that are 13 and 14, it's, it's almost more important to be back with your family. And I think a true, it's a true growth lesson for an entrepreneurial person or a leader of a company to recognize that, that this is just what we do to make money. You know, that as much as we're going to treat it like our own and really be passionate about it, we also have that family that is, that is really our core, right? So it's great that you, you are that family person and a great dad as well. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think as I've learned and switched is that, you know, work-life balance is incredibly important. And so while I may not be, you know, tacking on trips for work purposes, you know, we do vacation a lot regularly, but it's more of a family vacation and I don't have to think about work and we can just kind of check out and do our family thing versus tagging on to work. You separate. Right. Now, if you, if you couldn't travel to California, where would you travel to? What state would you go to second place to California? Oh, <laughs> you're going to get me in trouble by asking that question. Um, I, you know, to be honest, um, you know, we actually, we go to Hawaii every year. Awesome. Um, you know, we, we do our, our family vacation every summer there. Um, but, you know, for me, it's mostly just being somewhere on a beach where I can just shut my brain off and disconnect. Yeah. It doesn't really matter whether it's, you know, in Hawaii or California or Bali or wherever it may be. Um, it's, it's just about spending time with family and, and relaxing and being able to shut your brain off. Well, you're, you're running the good one. So congrats on everything you've done with Visit California. Thanks for sharing with us. Love to get you back out to another COO Alliance event. And yeah, Matthew Sabatini, the Chief Operating Officer from Visit California. Thanks for sharing with us today. Thank you. All right, bye. Take care. You too. You've been listening to Second in Command with Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe. To learn more best practices from industry-leading COOs, please visit COOalliance.com.